Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Rosie Wilby. She's a stand-up comic, writer, and fellow podcaster. She's just released her new book. It's The Breakup Monologues. It's based on the podcast of the same name. We talk about why she writes in different places, and not just likes it, why sometimes she needs to write in different places. Also, what comedy has taught her about storytelling, and why lockdown, for once, lockdown actually helped her to write. All comedians are work better with a deadline because we're used to the deadline of Edinburgh Fringe and having to have your show written by August, <laughs> you know, and you do your previews in the spring and <laughs> you have to think about what your show title is and what your 40-word blurb is in time for it to go into the Fringe programme in March. And so we are very structured around deadlines and I think that it definitely helped me to sort of suddenly have this chunk of time really where I was just thinking about the creativity and thinking about the book and could really obsess in my dreams and in my sleep about <laughs> how's that chapter going to make sense? Oh, what if I changed, you know, this bit or that bit? And I, I think it was good to have that. There's more on the way with Rosie Wilby in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's day to see how they get the work sorted to get the words down. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for listening. Uh, this week, we're chatting to the comic and the writer, Rosie Wilby. So you know it's going to be a laugh this episode. Uh, you might know her from her radio work. She's been on Radio 4 and she's performed at festivals all around the place. She's a commentator on her sexuality, love and dating. Kind of means she pops up on, on the telly to give an opinion every now and then. That's what a commentator is. Uh, and that all became clear in her first book, Is Monogamy Dead? She's explored it more in her podcast, The Breakup Monologues, and she's now published a book which is based on the show. It's non-fiction and it talks all about love and relationships. It's one of our rare forays into non-fiction. Uh, I hope you'll really enjoy it. We talk about why pets are so important to her writing day, how they keep her going, keep her inspired. Also, like pets, why exercise is so vital to her ideas as well. Uh, we talk about how lockdown forced her ambition and drove her on and kind of moulded her into a nine to five she didn't normally have. Uh, and it's a good, deep get into the reads chat this week. Uh, I think you'll really like it. As I say, it's a laugh. And we start, as we always do, with what Rosie sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. 
Well, I mean, I don't always consistently write in the same place, but I did with my new book, which is coming out soon. So I guess that's what I shall tell you about. And that's where I'm sitting now. And it's in our loft conversion in Bromley. And I like, it's funny, I was listening to your interview with Mark Watson recently, and he also said he likes writing high up. And I do think there's something nice about looking over the rooftops. And we've actually got our neighbours that I can see directly opposite have this giant Spider-Man climbing up their wall. And it just really tickles me because it's such a random thing to have on the side of your house. And it's so huge. And so I often find myself looking at that and... (laughs) And just having a little chuckle about how weird it is. Um, and I usually have one or more of our three pets in the room. They are always on hand for little breaks when I want pet cuddles. We've got a dog and two cats and <laughs> they are my writing buddies. They can be annoying. I mean, cats love to jump up on a writer's keyboard and type their own interpretation of what you should be writing. Oh, mate, do not get me started. Like I'm, I would say I'm about two months into owning a cat, and like it's it it's wonderful. I would say for about forty percent of the day, the other sixty percent is just the most annoying thing in my life. Like you just can't get anything done because you're just there, just trying to bite tables. Yeah. So sorry, I've interrupted. Yeah. So you've got your animals. What else have you got in the room around you? Um. Well, not a whole lot. It's it's a, a bedroom as well. Um, we've got an, it's a, just a really nice, spacious room, and it's the best room in our house. It's just beautiful because it's all newly done out because it was our loft conversion, and so you know, nice kind of lovely wooden floor and just just kind of nice, kind of very kind of white grey kind of decor and it feels quite clean and and nice up here I kind of like the brightness because we've got big uh windows and sort of a a Juliet balcony um and you know the nice doors that you can open if if it was a bit warm and sunny and you could open those and have a look a look across the rooftops while having a little cup of tea Um, but I definitely like the outdoors, I do quite like opening the window or opening the doors if if it is warm weather, because as I say, this isn't where I always, always write. And much of my first book was written outdoors by hand in a big notebook and then sort of typed up later. So I definitely take inspiration from, from the outdoors and have my ideas outdoors. And I think it's more functional when I'm sitting here writing at the screen And that would either be typing up things I've written out almost fully formed or fleshing out bullet points or scribbles or diagrams or weird spider diagrams that I've that I've come up with when I'm a bit more on the move. There's a lot there that spawns ideas very quickly. What's if that's what's giving you inspiration outside? What, what, what gives you inspiration when you are inside, when you're having to write in that room? Uh, have you got anything around you? Um, you mentioned some stuff earlier, but just, just stuff that's, I guess, giving energy, giving life to what you're writing. Well, I think, I think the pets, honestly. I think the animals really, and the animals do come up a lot, in, uh, particularly in my new book, which, although that sounds strange because it's a book about relationships and breakups, but <laughs> there's quite a bit about animals and how they might help us 
uh, after a breakup, how they might keep relationships together by entertaining us, and also a bit about pet custody battles and, uh, you know, who gets the pets in a divorce. So <laughs> I think I think the animals just really inspire me because they're just, well, our dog is just so full of love and our cat is so aloof and so cat-like. And now we've got a new kitten as well who is a bit like a dog as well. So they, they all have their separate personalities. And I just think they're so endlessly fascinating and, and so wonderful. And they don't, I mean, they interrupt in, in their own way, but they don't interrupt you with conversation like a human might do. So, so I do find them quite lovely to have around whilst I'm being creative, because I think they are you know, they're another spirit, another soul in the room. You, you say you quite often like to write outside when you can. I guess what determines where you are writing? You mentioned that you're, where, where you're chatting to me from now, that's a place where you wrote one book. Um, yeah, I, uh, what, why are you moving around? What, what's happening there? Well, I think it's just a lot is kind of weather dependent. And I began my first book in the, the kind of summertime of 2016, and it came out 2017. And there was a lot of nice hot weather. Also, I was living very close to Brockwell Park in Brixton, which is still one of my favourite, favourite spaces in London. I used to love swimming in the Lido at, uh, at Brockwell as well. And I also think swimming is really creative and the sort of motion of going up and down, backwards and forwards through the pool. Um, and so, yes, I think it's something about maybe being a comedian and a performer as well as a writer. And I think those things mean that being out and about and moving and sort of even if you're not performing to an audience, somehow seeing other people around and about uh, it kind of sparks things and helps me have ideas and helps you to think creatively. I might be reading too much into this, but we've spoken, so many authors on the show have spoken about how exercise helps them write, helps them be creative. You just mentioned it with swimming. Um, is, is it just swimming for you or is it any form of exercise do you think could just that help those juices go? Well, I think juices is, is a good word, isn't it? Because I think exercise helps just blood flow around the brain, doesn't it? And certainly when I used to be writing my comedy routines for the stage, obviously haven't done a lot of gigs during this strange pandemic year that we've had. But when I was doing a lot of touring and gigging a few years ago, I often used to sort of go through my set in my head whilst I was running. And that's when I found I would think of funny little extra ad libs and, and callbacks and, and extra creative little bits that I would put in there that might bring a, you know, a routine I'd done many, many times, it would sort of bring it to life because I'd added a fresh little bit that it just come to me when I was moving around. And yeah, I think I think that's very much um, a creative trigger, a creative spark. And I think it, it that harks back to even when I was a, a songwriter as well, back in the 1990s, and I wrote music, I would definitely think of lyrics whilst I was on the move, either, you know, walking or running, or sometimes if I was 
on the move on public transport and looking out the window of a train or a bus. And and I think that's always felt easier for me than sitting in a room looking at the computer. However, I think sometimes the actual mechanics of writing and doing a big edit or restructuring or just really trying to get the words down and getting your word count up, I think that more functional kind of writing and getting it down on paper does sort of happen <laughs> in a room indoors normally. But I think the really creative stuff with with the juices flowing, as you say, can often happen out and about for me. When I very, very first started comedy, I wrote things out <laughs> a bit word for word, as you're saying, but it, it comes across a bit too monologue if you're trying to deliver a script and it doesn't quite work for stand-up comedy because even though you might have a very scripted comedy routine, it's got to appear quite fresh. So I found ultimately that a more bullet point form of writing worked better for writing for performance for the stage. Um, and you actually see some comics, particularly newer comics, writing a set list on the back of their hand. <laughs> and I once did a gig where I had my shopping list on the back of my hand and there was someone on the front row going, oh, she hasn't done a joke about hummus. <laughs> <laughs> Does that, um, uh, how much does that filter into now the way you write novels? Uh, are you a bit, I, I guess, I guess it has to be stricter because you need to get down like 300 words or whatever it is, like 300 pages or whatever it is. Christ, 300 words, that'd be nice. Like 300 <laughs> yeah, pages. Just a, or, or a mere <laughs> article. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, 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 I guess, does it let you be a little bit looser with the, with the way that you write uh, novels? Um, well... No, I think I think when you're writing a full length book, you, you do have to be pretty disciplined and you have to get get it down in prose. And I actually really enjoy that because it gives me a chance to express myself in a different way that is freed from the pressure of having a laugh every few seconds. Um, you know, you can actually explore different emotional terrain and that's obviously what I've done very much with the breakup monologues where sometimes we're looking at the laughter in heartbreak and the the old idea that tragedy plus time equals comedy but a lot of the time I'm looking at heartbreak and how awful it can be and the psychology of how heartbreak works and how it's very much like withdrawing from a drug and what on earth you know, these crazy and bizarre things that happen to us and that we do when we're in the throes of a of a terrible heartbreak and how we recover from it and how then sometimes we can embark on quite exciting new life adventures, which is why the subtitle of the book, The Breakup Monologues, is The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. May I say, I speak to some writers who never, ever, ever mention their book and you're doing a fantastic job of getting in there. Oh, so, so... Oh, sorry. No, please, it's fine. That's what you're here for. That's great. Hang in on. Banging no, on, no, no, is. no, no. Um, well, well. Listen, Rosie. The um, the the name of the show is Writer's Routine. So, 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 take us through yours. And I'm interested because you're a, a, a comic who, and I guess comics, almost by the nature of when they work, operate on kind of different schedules to many people. So, so talk us through a, a working day when you are writing and doing everything else, Rosie. How does it look? Well, it's interesting because I've written this second book during lockdown and I was really just in early stages of that when we were plunged into lockdown and all my live events were cancelled and 
I was quite worried about being able to get it done um, when I had gigs and I had events and festivals and things coming up. I was excited about all those events. I certainly didn't want them to be cancelled, but I was concerned because I find writing, I love it, but it's also exhausting. And I'm not somebody who can do a full day writing and then just run off and do a gig. For me, it would be possibly ideally either or. You know, if I've got a gig, I'll do some admin and boring stuff, but I wouldn't do heavy lifting creatively, if you know what I mean, uh, because I want to sort of save that kind of creative energy for the performance. Um, so, you know, whilst the reasons for the lockdown were terrible and it was really shocking and worrying times, in some ways, it you know it was fortunate timing for me that if my events were going to be cancelled, it wasn't the worst that they were cancelled when I needed to knuckle down and write a book. And um, yeah, I did sort of find myself actually falling into a very different routine of being able to get up really early. Um, well, when I say really early, we get up about seven o'clock because our animals usually wake us up. But that would mean I could get up having had a good night's sleep because I hadn't, you know, rolled in from some late night train at one or two in the morning. And so I could feel quite fresh having got up at that time. I often take the dog out for a walk first thing in the morning. And that is a really creative time because, of course, I'm outdoors and I'm thinking through maybe the bit that I'm going to write that day or a bit that I'm struggling with. And so I really had quite a good routine of, you know, working through the day. I mean, obviously, there'd maybe be gaps where I'd just do a bit of boring admin stuff and, you know, sort out all the events that were being cancelled. And, uh, you know, I had a load of podcast recordings that were cancelled and I had to let all the guests know they weren't happening um and you know so it was just boring admin stuff like that to do in little gaps between writing spurts but yeah I um I kind of found that I was able to settle into a sort of you know um nine to five-ish kind of routine and often have a creative spurt kind of towards the end of the day because I wanted to feel like I'd accomplished something and got something done. So there would be a motivational drive, I think, about kind of half three, four o'clock <laughs> after maybe having a bit of a post-lunch slump or maybe going off to do some other admin. I would kind of really, you know, want to get a good chunk done maybe between about four and five o'clock and then go off and cook dinner or, you know, hang out with my partner or um, maybe take the dog out again or, yeah, feed the animals, all of that kind of stuff. So five o'clock when you stop typing or put your pen down for the day, what determined if it was a good writing day for you? <laughs> well, I had to be quite focused on word count because I think I wanted with this book to be a little bit less precious about the first draft. I think with my first book, because I'd been used to writing articles where I really tried to get things right, you know, before I sent it to the magazine it was going to be published by, I kind of had that same mentality. And the first few chapters of the first book, I would write in almost complete finished form. And 
you know, the first few chapters of the first book were appeared in the final book very much as they had come out the first time because I'd really, really thought so hard and worked so hard at them. But I wanted with the second book to try and do what, you know, most of my writer friends tell me they do and really just get a first draft down that then needs a heck of a lot of edits and work. I'm not really sure which way is ultimately more more kind of efficient time-wise, but I think it was good to just get a first draft down um, and give myself that goal and then still having time before my deadline to really restructure that and give it a good edit. And I had a good writer friend of mine, a woman called Abigail Tartellin, whose novels I absolutely love. And I kind of love the fact that she is a fiction writer and I'm a non-fiction writer, but I really like my non-fiction books to have a narrative drive. And so I wanted her to have a look over it. And we had a couple of uh, Zoom sessions. And so she um, really helped me just think about how I wanted to structure this very um, slightly all over the place first draft that had lots of great ideas and had the content in that I wanted to get down, but but needed to just have a, have a structure in place because I have um, a slightly... Uh, intriguing timeline where we go backwards through a time period and then forwards. And I knew what was happening or what I was doing, but Abigail said it wasn't quite clear yet. So I was like, right, I've got to make that more clear. And, and I sort of put in more kind of markers of where we were in time and in place to make that clearer. And then she was like, yeah, I get it now. So I think just having a writer you really like and respect, have a look over your work at an early stage is really good. Some writers that I've spoken to in the last year have spoken about how lockdown has perhaps hampered their creativity. Uh, this this was a book from you that was written pretty much solely in lockdown and, and you knew you needed to get it done. Uh, uh, how much did lockdown af- affect I guess the energy and the creativity, or was it a case of, because it was, I guess, so alien from what you're normally used to, you've got no one to perform in front of, perhaps it made it easier for you? Yeah, in a weird way, you know, it did. I mean, I hate to say lockdown was a good thing because I know it's been so awful for so many people. And now, you know, I am also fed up of it and and want things to go back to normal. But at the time, it (laughs) Yeah, it did kind of help me in a strange way because I had less of that kind of FOMO. I didn't feel like all my friends were out gigging and doing loads of fun stuff while I was sitting, tapping away at the computer. And I also felt, I felt good that I was doing something constructive. And I thought, gosh, if I hadn't had this deadline and had this contract, I would probably feel really up in the air. And I, I don't know if I would have had the same drive to get on with a project. I hope that maybe I would, but I'm not sure I would because all comedians are work better with a deadline because we're used to the deadline of Edinburgh Fringe and having to have your show written by August, <laughs> you know, and you do your previews in the spring and <laughs> you have to think about what your show title is and what your 40-word blurb is in time for it to go into the Fringe programme in March. And so we are very structured around deadlines and I think that it definitely helped me to sort of suddenly have this chunk of time really where I was just thinking about the creativity and thinking about the book and could really obsess in my dreams and in my sleep 
about <laughs> how's that chapter going to make sense? Oh, what if I changed, you know, this bit or that bit? And I, I think it was good to have that that focus because I think my focus shifts through different times of the year depending on whether I am recording a new season of the podcast or going on a tour or doing lots of what I call normal comedy circuit gigs where I'm doing a sort of 20-minute set. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We'll be back with more from Rosie Wilby in just a sec. Now, if you're enjoying the show, maybe you've learned something in today's episode that has helped, that, that will help the way that you write. Uh, you can support us on Patreon to say thanks if you fancy. By doing that, you can also get involved in the little like writing community that we've got going on at patreon.com where we bounce ideas and advice back and forward. Uh, also, you get merch. There are bonus episodes on the way. And there's even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if the release of your book has been a slight damp squib over the last year, you can let me give it the promo that it absolutely deserves. I will go big, I will go pluggy, I will shout all about it. To make that happen, you need to support us with just a little bit a month. Uh, what you can spare goes a long way, I promise. You can get involved and help out over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then this week with comedian and writer Rosie Wilby chatting all about her new book, The Breakup Monologues. Uh, in this half, we talk about how comedy has influenced her storytelling and then how writing has influenced her podcasting. Also, how the idea of the book changed as she wrote it. It's always interesting to figure that, to hear about that with a non-fiction story. It makes a bit more sense with uh, a novel when the idea is, is growing and changing as it comes out of your brain. But with a non-fiction book, it's, it's interesting to hear. And we pick things up now talking about the planning, planning it all down and the one key bit of advice that massively helped her. It's a trick I got from uh, the non-fiction author Sarah Shulman and I was lucky enough in 2016 when I was writing my first book I got a place on uh, there's a queer writers retreat called the Lambda Writers Retreat that is held at the University of Southern California in LA 
And this was so exciting because I was the only UK writer that got a place that year, but I'd heard about it and applied and I, I got in. And Sarah gave this lecture, I think on like the first morning, where she spoke about nonfiction being so similar to fiction that we shouldn't get hung up about it needing to be different um, because nonfiction is the story of an idea. And I really took that on board and thought about how I could tell my story of why I have become so obsessed with investigating the psychology of relationships. And I could tell my own personal story about my own relationships and, and my own life, but embed my discoveries about relationships, about how they work into that story, and then take forward that learning into how I was then going to proceed from there. And yeah, so she used to draw on the board um, these kind of story arcs, like narrative arcs. And she drew one arc that was the narrative arc on the sort of outer arc, um, where she would mark that with different chapters or different actions that were happening and, and sort of talk about how each action would influence the next action that was going to happen. But then underneath that, she drew another arc that there was the emotional arc of what was going on emotionally. And the space in between that she sort of shaded it in and said, that's the subtext. And I thought that was really interesting. And to think about the interplay between the emotional arc of what was happening and the narrative arc of the things, the physical things that are happening. This is based on your podcast, The Breakup Monologues. Um, now as someone who also does a podcast, I know they can be like quite grand, all encompassing things. And you're speaking to many different people about many different, uh, about lots of different stuff all around the theme. How did you initially go about, I guess, distilling the idea of it into one idea for a, a book? Yes. Well, what's interesting is the podcast is much more episodic and you could kind of go and listen to one episode of the podcast and really get something from that. And I guess you could read one chapter of the book and still get something from it, but you'd get more from it if you read the book from beginning to end and got a sense of the narrative structure and the story, because it's certainly been written that way. Um, and I think it was interesting for me to think about how I would incorporate elements from the podcast and other people's stories and some of the most interesting anecdotes and ideas that had come up but also make it very different to the podcast because I am going to be recording an audiobook as well. So I wanted to make sure it wasn't just duplicating big chunks of things that had been said on the podcast, because then when I recorded the audiobook, it really would just be duplication. Um, so I was keen to make it distinctive and stand out from that. And I think I've really put the ideas from the podcast in in a much a much a very different kind of structure and story than they appear in the original podcast I think I've organized the thoughts in a very different way and what's interesting is that has then gone on to inform how I've recorded the new season of the podcast which is much more thematic and I have linked interviews about a theme like breakups and travel or the future of breakups uh, whereas I guess in earlier seasons where we had live episodes recorded in front of an audience, there was a wonderful buzz and excitement, but the conversations could really go anywhere and we didn't sort of focus on one idea as much. When you had finished writing it, I always think with, with non-fiction, 
perhaps the writer kind of knows everything that it will be by the time they finish. Whereas when you finish yours, because it's a, I guess, an exploration of emotions and how people deal with stuff and what you do when you deal with stuff, how much did you learn about everything that had come before when you had finished writing the last word, if that makes any sense at all? <laughs> um, well, I'll interpret that question as I yeah, think. Yeah, pick it up and run with it, please. I think you mean. Well, um, I, I was writing about a combination of things. I was writing about some breakups that are very, very old that I have kind of processed and been able to put in a folder and think, gosh, that was really awful at the time, but I've kind of dealt with that. Whereas there was one more recent breakup in inverted commas. I mean, it was after a very short uh, casual relationship. So to call it a breakup is, is perhaps making it seem grander than it was. But I was kind of interested in the idea of how this short relationship had impacted me seemingly disproportionately. And I was interested in exploring the sort of rules of breakups that we think um, you know, that how we feel after a rejection should be somehow proportionate to the length of time we were with somebody. And it doesn't seem, you know, it seems like we're being indulgent or silly somehow if we are utterly devastated if someone breaks up with us after a couple of dates. Um, and so it really it was this particular breakup that kind of popped up in the story much more than I thought it was going to. And even my editor said, well, why does this woman keep popping up? And I realised I had to delve deeper into what that story was about. And it was only really when we were doing some of the later rounds of edits, I wrote a paragraph about people's position of relative privilege in the world and how that alters how we might feel. And that adds a whole extra dimension and texture to how we might feel when someone rejects us. And it was really only through the writing process that I understood something about what had happened emotionally and why it affected me so much. My publisher asked me to write some blurbs for the back cover. And I thought, yeah, yeah, we definitely need to update it because the one I wrote on the original book proposal was before I'd written the book, right? So that one can't be the best one anymore. I can definitely write something better. So I spent a whole afternoon really like scribbling away on a notebook, tapping away on the keyboard, writing like four or five different versions. And I thought they'll definitely go for like the last the last one or the, the second to last one that I wrote, yeah, they're definitely getting there. They're definitely getting to the nub of what the book is. And then the publisher was like, no, the one you wrote in the first place was best. <laughs> so so they clearly didn't think it changed all that much. Um, and in a way it hasn't because the general overview of what, what the book is, why I came to be writing it is the same. Um, but I suppose because I'm so close to it, I think in, in rather nuanced and subtle ways, it has changed, but I suppose when you boil it down to the basics of what you're going to put on the back of the book and uh, to sell it to people, that probably hasn't changed that much. It is, you know, um, <laughs> kind of funny and charming and, you know, based on my podcast and kind of which was spurred from when I once got dumped by email. And I'll tell you this because I know you quite like asking people about fonts. Yeah, I love a font. Um, yeah, yeah, please. 
And um, I got dumped by email and I, I used to joke at the time that I did feel better once I had changed her spelling, corrected her spelling and changed the font. <laughs> <laughs> um, just talking about t- talking tonally for a second, uh, because you are, a, 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 well, because this is a nonfiction book, so it will be written in your voice and because you are a comedian, so you have quite a strong voice. How much did you think about the tone and the voice and the words that you were using to write this book? Yeah, I think um, I try and have a balance. I suppose with with my first book and what I've done for this book as well is slightly, in my head at least, alternated chapters. Like I have chapters that are deliberately funny ones because I definitely need chapters that I'm going to read out at live events that people will laugh at and go, oh, she's very funny. Oh, I must go and get her to sign a copy of the book. Um, But then other chapters that are informative and giving people some of the information, albeit kind of subtly under the story and under more kind of fun stuff. Um, You know, but then there are chapters that are quite emotional as well, which I probably wouldn't necessarily choose to read out at live events, but which I think reveal you know, that comedians kind of have broken hearts too. <laughs> you know, I think I kind of get annoyed that people think comedians are just, well, I know there is the stereotype of the tragic clown, but I, I've kind of been in situations where I've been interviewed on, you know, I don't know, Radio 4 shows or whatever. And um, they've almost not believed my research and the fact that I have done the research into the psychology and do know all the statistics and the surveys and the divorce rates and <laughs> and all of this kind of stuff. So, you know, I suppose I kind of want to show that I have really thought about this topic over a number of years as well. Um, and I've done really what I call my immersive style of research, um, <laughs> where I've gone and done things and put myself in a situation um, that isn't always comfortable. Like in the first book, there's a chapter where I talk about doing comedy at a sex party. <laughs> and in this new book, there's a chapter about going and taking part in a sex lab where I watch um, male and female erotica and have to rate how aroused I am. And I'm also having my genital arousal measured and pupil dilation and so on but the really funny thing about that is that the control clip that they show you in between the erotic clips is uh, a clip of david attenborough (laughs) yeah it must be it must be pretty i mean david attenborough is obviously a legend who's got just about everything and done about everything but it must i wonder how he feels if he were to know that he is considered so unsexy that he's the control clip in this experiment (laughs) I know a lot. Whenever I've told people that, they say, well, I would find that quite sexy. And I did ask if my arousal had been measured during those clips and they said no. Oh, that's I quite I feel quite sorry for him. You know, it's the only time in my life I've ever felt sorry for David Attenborough. Um, Listen, uh, you are a stand up comic and I like asking this question of stand up comics. I would have asked it of Mark Watson. Um, but, But what has and and actually you've kind of touched on this with when you're talking about writing with performing them at live events in mind. Uh, what has performing stand-up comedy, what has writing jokes taught you about writing uh, a, a, a full-on 300, 400-page book? Um, I think 
it kind of teaches you about focus because in comedy you can't be too waffly <laughs> or else you're off. <laughs> There's some brutal open mic gigs you do at the beginning of your comedy career where you literally are gonged off or booed off or kicked off or, or there's one I used to do where they would play the funeral march when uh, <laughs> they decided they'd had enough um, so I think you realise that each word is important and you, you learn about efficiency of words Are you consciously thinking that through though when you are writing or is it just something that you, you've now done so much, much of that it comes natural to you? Um I think it comes naturally as well. I mean, I've also worked as a journalist and I used to do um, music listings at Time Out magazine back in the day. And so when you think about describing a band or their sound in just a few words in a brief listing, I think all of these things have trained me to try not to just waffle on too much. I mean, when I'm talking, that's another story, right? And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Rosie Wilby for coming on the show. Uh, you can get a copy of her book, The Breakup Monologues, and you can listen to that same podcast in the episode notes wherever you're listening and over at writersroutine.com. Just one thing I ask, if you do listen, don't, don't substitute this one for that one, all right? Okay. Next week, uh, we're chatting to the writer, the journalist and uh, ex-magazine editor, Tim Adler, all about his new psychological thriller, It's Dead Already. He's on the show next week. In the meantime, if you can support us over at Patreon, please do that. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Give us a follow on socials. We're on Twitter there and follow us uh, wherever you on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review if you can as well. And you can always get in touch at writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with Tim Adler on the show. Until then, bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.